Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. It's a beautiful week. The last Sunday of March here in McKinney, Texas. And next week we're going to have our Resurrection Sunday message. So I can't wait for that. So praise be to God for that. Uh, this week we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12 at, at least. Uh, we may get the almost the whole chapter in, but we'll see how time permits. Uh, but anyway, before we start, I'd like to like you guys to join me in a word of prayer. So if you guys would join me, please, before we begin. And uh, let's ask God to show up and speak to us today. So, Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for bringing us here today. Thank you so much for your goodness, Lord. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your peace. Thank you so much, Lord, also for your word. Your word is a light into my feet, a lamp into my path, Lord. It just makes my way bright, Lord, so I can see the way. Thank you, Lord, for the way in which you guide people, Lord. You give us all this truth, Lord, and all we have to do is look into it and read it and 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 listen to you, Lord. Like a like a good like the good father that you are, Lord, we just have to look to your word and for direction in life. Direction for the way to eternal life and just the direction for our lives now. Thank you so much. Lord, we ask that you show up today, Lord. We ask that you fall on us by your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and help us to understand your word, Lord, because it's it's not flesh and blood, Lord God, that helps us to understand your word. It's your Holy Spirit. By, your, by you, Heavenly Father. It's, it's you who help us to understand your word. So, Lord, I, I don't want to... Lord, help me to just get out of the way today and just speak your words and, and let your Holy Spirit teach us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Ask you to bless this time together, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said earlier, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12, at least, but possibly to 36. We'll see how far we get, time permitting. But first, before we go... I'm going to read my thoughts from last week's message, the Son of God and the Son of Man. So, going back, just for, just for context, two sermons ago, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Christ to test Him with yet another question, trying to get His followers to be divided from Him. A scribe of the Pharisees, I should say. Jesus answered them with the perfect answer, and they failed to win in their assault against him. What does Christ do? He takes the opportunity, because guess what? Like I said last week, he was an opportunist because they were gathered together to ask them all a testing question of his own. And of course, like we read last week, they can't answer his question and are left dumbfounded. And in fact, they're scared to even approach him and ask him another question again. That should be the end of the story, right? That's, that's it, right? They ask him, he, dumb, he answers their question, he asks them a question, leaves them dumbfounded, but that's not the end to me. Because as I was reading over this you know, section this week and as I was praying about direction to go for the thoughts from last week, God showed me something. See, that's not the end of the story to me because there's a question that begs an answer in why did he ask them 
that question that he asked him last week that we read about. What is it? After these guys asked Jesus their testing question, and he answered it perfectly, shutting their mouths permanently, he could have just let them go without asking them another question at all. He could have just let them go. He knew he was God after all in the flesh. He knew that they were scared to come approach him again and ask him another question. He could have just let him go. He never would have been bothered with him again until the Bible declares that the next time that anybody bothers him was when Judas the betrayer brings in his executioners into the Garden of Gethsemane where they, you know, they haul him away for the unfair trial and then he goes to his death. So my point is, the question that begs the answer is why? Why did Christ ask them that question that he asked them last week? I mean, what was his motivation? What was his goal in doing that? I believe this. I believe this. Because he could have just let him go. And I believe God showed me this. See, he asked them this question because he was trying one last attempt, because he knew that his time was short, to plant seeds of truth in their hearts about the true identity of who the Messiah really was. And of course, because the Messiah was him, this question easily, a question that could have led them to the truth of him being their Messiah, if they had cared. They didn't care, so it didn't work, but from God's side... God asked them this question in hopes that they would finally get the hint and be led on that path towards God, towards the truth, towards Christ being the Messiah. Did they receive the chance that God gave them? Absolutely not. Some of them might have later on. You know, after Christ died, they still had a chance until death. Just like anybody alive today has a chance to come to God before they die, no matter where you're at, whether you belong to the Church of Satan or you're a Jehovah Witness or you're a Mormon or or you're a Muslim or whatever. Anybody until they die has a chance to come to Christ until their last breath. But of course, we won't know if any of them wised up and received, you know, this little, I would call it a little... uh, I would call what Jesus did a little bait, you know. He tried to bait him. Hey, guys, listen. Here's a little clue, a fantastic clue, who the Messiah is. You you could know this. Come on, guys. So, in this question, I see again the loving character of God. God's always trying to draw people to repentance and salvation. This is how I see the picture of what Christ did with this question. If a loving father, or a mother for that matter, has a lost child, you know, and they're, they, they're gone, all of a sudden they're in the store and then the child is gone, where are they? They're going to start yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs, hey, son, daughter, come, hey, I'm mom. And then if they don't come and they're there and they, they can't find them, they're going to try to leave clues. Then they're going to call the police and try to get the police to look out. But they're also going to try to leave clues around. This is a perfect 
uh, idea of, of this picture here. Sometime ago in the past, I, I drive school bus for uh, a city that's here in, in Texas. And as I'm driving my school bus, a lot of mornings I used to see this, this big writing on this window of this car. And it was findchristina.com or .org. And this girl had gone missing. And her parents and her loved ones were trying to find her. So they were putting clues out to help people report if they found her. Or, of course, you know, they were hoping that she got home. So a loving father or mother that loses a child is going to leave clues to help that child get home in hopes that the child that got lost finds those clues and returns home to be with their parents. Well, these guys were lost And Jesus just gave them a fantastic clue to help them get home to God. But unfortunately, as we read in Scripture last week, they didn't take it. But God keeps showing me that He is so loving because He doesn't stop reaching out to people, even when they are in willful rejection to God like these guys were. So know this. Anybody listening out there, wherever you are, There's one thing I know for sure in this life. One thing for sure I'm positive about in this life. It's this. When someone dies and they don't accept Christ and they end up going to hell, it's not because God didn't try to lead them to the truth in every way possible. Because God is trying to lead people to the truth all the time, until your very last breath, God is trying to draw you to Jesus Christ. The love of God is amazing. Amazing grace. That's why they wrote that song, Amazing Grace. Praise be to God. All right. Well, we got quite a few scriptures today, so let's move on to this week's message. Title, They Were the Ultimate Hypocrites. Matthew 23, 1 through 12, at least. Again, title, they were the ultimate hypocrites. So I'm going to read over Matthew 23, 1 through 12. You can follow along. As I said, we may get 13 through 36 today, but we'll see what time permits. But at least 1 through 12 to set up our situation here. We have a brand new chapter, and the Bible says, verse 23, or chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their flax trees broad and enlarge their borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men rabbi, rabbi. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren, you're all equal. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. 
But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So as I just said, these guys here that Jesus just asked them a question to, they just, they did not respond in repentance to the fantastic clue that Christ gave them about himself or the identity of the Messiah. Remember, he was trying to lead them home to God. Well, now Jesus has something to say to his followers about them. And they're all there around him, his disciples and his followers, as we just read in verse 1. Jesus just took the opportunity with the scribes and the Pharisees while they were all gathered together to tell them something, to ask them a question. Well, now think about it. All Jesus' followers and multitudes, they're all gathered around him. Okay, They had front row seats to everything that the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus and the, you know, the, the Sadducees, all that came to Jesus, and they all had front row seats to watch it all. So now that Jesus knows that the Pharisees and Sadducees and even you know, the, the scribes aren't going to ask him any more questions. He goes in, now he has something to say that's important that he wants the multitudes, his followers, to know about these guys. What does he want them to know? Verse 2 again tells us, he says the first thing he wants us to know about them, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. What does this mean? What is Jesus saying? They sit in Moses' seat. Well, who was Moses? Well, Moses was the man that God called to go into Egypt to get his people out, to lead his people out. Moses was a great leader, very humble man, but a very great leader of the nation of Israel. What else did Moses do? Well, while Moses, God used Moses to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, God also gave his law to Moses. And then what else did Moses do? Moses then gave the law to the people. And the last thing that Moses did, Moses also sat as the people's judge. The people knew that God gave Moses the law. Then Moses gave them the law, so now they had all these laws. Well, just like in our society today, when there's a law that's broken between two people, between two parties, what do they do? They, you know, if the parties can't, hey, they can't figure it out together, they go to the law. They go to the judge. They go to a police officer and they say, hey, here's what happened. Judge between him and me, what, you know, what's going on here? Well, Moses was that judge. He, he appointed many others as well, but Moses was the initial law, one to receive the law, the one to give the law to Israel, and then the one to judge between the Israelites, one and another, in personal matters and personal issues. So, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus just said the scribes and the Pharisees, he gave them a pretty high honor in saying that they were like Moses now to the people. A pretty high honor. They sit in Moses' seat, Jesus said. But it's true. Remember, these guys, like Moses, were the current experts of the law of God in their time, which meant they could also be judged between the people in, you know, in between their disputes. So Jesus says a true thing about these guys, which we know they're in rebellion against God, but yet he gives, them a, he gives us a true statement about them. They are like Moses to the people. They are experts in the law, just like Moses was. So because of this, Jesus says next in verse 3, Therefore, read just part of it, 
whatever they tell you to observe, the law of God-wise, that observe and do. That's another pretty high honor that Jesus just gave them. They knew the law of Moses very well. They were experts, remember, after all. So Jesus says this, The way they tell you to obey the law of God, do it. Absolutely. Jesus is right on so far. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19, 7-9, the law of God is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So, we know the commandments, the law of God, His statutes, His commandments, His The fear of the Lord is all good. These are all good things that Jesus is saying and all accurate things that Jesus is saying. So I can see why Jesus is saying that about these guys. The law of God is perfect. And this is partly what they preached. And there is no evil in the preaching of the law of God. Now, if you were like me, And, uh, you know, we're thinking along the same lines. We're thinking, wait a minute. These guys just kept coming and attacking Jesus. How come Jesus keeps saying all these nice things about them? Well, so you know, in this whole rest of this chapter, this is the last nice thing that Jesus will say about these guys. He has some more harsh things to say. And if we look to the rest of verse 3, we'll see some harsh things that he starts to say now. He says, so whatever they teach, observe, and that do, but, he says, do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. That's a harsh thing to say, right? Absolutely, that's harsh. But of course, sometimes harshness needs to be. It is harsh, but we know that Christ did not lie. So it was true. Jesus wanted his followers to know what kind of people these Pharisees and scribes really were. The harsh thing he just said about them was, he just describes to us the perfect definition of a hypocrite. And he says these guys are that perfect definition of, of a hypocrite, or they were the ultimate hypocrites. That's where the title of our sermon comes from. So sadly, these guys were, on the three things that, you know, not so bad here, ultimate teachers and judges of the law of God. Okay? Outwardly, they were super religious zealots. People looked upon them. They were the most religious people that the people thought of when they, in their time that they, that they lived. They were also highly respected and admired among the people. But sadly, on the, on the downside, as Jesus just said here, they taught the law of God, but they did not follow it themselves, again, making them the ultimate hypocrites. And let me tell you, God hates hypocrisy, as we'll see in this chapter a little later, or in, or in a couple weeks if, if time permits. So the next thing that Jesus tells us, he, he, he has to go on now. The, the hypocrisy doesn't just stop with, they say something, but they don't do it. Their hypocrisy kind of goes a little further. Look at verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens 
uh, uh, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Is Jesus just saying here that the so is Jesus saying that the law of God that these guys were teaching was a heavy burden bound on the people because that's what it sounded like. He said they bind heavy burdens on men's shoulders, but don't move them with them own did with their own finger. Did Jesus just contradict himself here? Because it almost seems when I read it like a contradiction. Okay, he just told them to obey whatever these guys taught, obey the law of God. But now he's, now he's saying that they bind heavy burdens on men's shoulders that are kind of hard to bear. So is Jesus contradicting himself here or what are we not understanding? Well, I had to do some research myself because it sure seemed like he was, but it turns out, of course, that he wasn't. What is he saying then? Well, you have to understand, uh, Orthodox, uh, Orthodox Judaism. See, in Orthodox Judaism, Back in Jesus' day, these guys did three things for the law of God. Number one, they taught the law of God. They understood the law of God. They had the law of God. Boom, they were like Moses to the people. They memorized it. They knew it. They could judge between the people. So they gave the law of God and they judged. That was number one. Number two thing that they did, though, is they taught the people how to obey the law of God. They, they gave the people the way to practice the law of God. Because just reading the law of God doesn't necessarily mean that we'll understand how to obey it. We, I mean, we can hear the law, but then, well, what do I do now? You know, how do I follow that law? Well, that's the second thing they did. There were three tiers of things that these guys did with the law of God. Number one, they taught the law of God. Number two, they taught people how to follow the law of God. And But number three, they kind of made up some doctrines or some teachings or interpreted the law of God. But unfortunately, the first two were always good because how to follow the law is pretty easy. You know, if anybody knows the law, teaching the law is pretty easy. But now interpreting the law, that kind of gets a little tricky. Well, here Jesus is saying that they bound, they, they, they verse 4, if they bind heavy burdens hard to bear, what was he saying? saying, sadly, in the third tier, they were teaching some incorrect interpretations of the law of God, which meant that they were teaching false doctrine to the people. And when we're making up false doctrine, what does that do, of course, when we're making, when we're, we're talking about the law and we're interpreting the law and we're going to tell people how to follow the law, we're going to make it, we're making it harder on the people to follow the law. They were binding those heavy burdens on the people because of their false interpretations of the law of God. And Jesus is saying here that they were not only hypocritical in teaching God's law and not following it, but here he says that they were also teaching incorrect interpretations of God's law and being hypocritical in not following them either and so putting undue burdens upon the people. Wasn't bad enough that they taught the law of God and didn't follow that, but then they made up their own interpretations of the law of God that contradicted God's law, and they wouldn't follow those either. These guys were the ultimate hypocrite. But that didn't stop them, you see, from acting religious in front of the people. Look at verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men. 
They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. So what are phylacteries? I had to look it up myself. I kind of knew, but I had to look it up myself. Phylacteries are these small strips of parchment or paper on which were written the following passages of the law of Moses. Exodus 13, 1 through 10 and 11 through 16 and Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 and 11 13 through 21 and which enclosed in a small in small cases that were accustomed that were accustomed when engaged in prayer to wear fastened by a leather strap to the forehead and to the left arm over against the heart in order that they might thus be solemnly re- reminded of the duty of keeping the commandments of God in the head and in the heart, according to the directions given in Exodus thirteen sixteen and Deuteronomy 6, 8 and 11 through 18. These scrolls were thought to have the power, like amulets, to avert various evils and to drive away demons. So in case you missed it, I read you the tech- technical definition out of the Strong's Concordance. They had these little boxes and they had this parchment in them. And on this parchment were written these verses. This little box would sit on their head or their forehead and on their arm. And as I just read, these things had like these verses in them that they could pull out and they were the verses of God that God had given them so that they could keep God's law on their minds and in their hearts. And that's what these phylacteries were. So how did making these phylacteries broad make them look super religious in front of the people? Well, listen to this. Again, Strong's Concordance. The Pharisees were accustomed to widen or make a, or make broad their phylacteries. So broad their, their little scripture writing, their little the parchment that came down their arm and went around their forehead. They made them broad, okay, that they might make themselves more conspicuous, more easy to be seen. In a sense, easier to see. Uh, like I said, look at me jumping up and down. I'm religious. Look at me, everybody. Look at how broad my phylacteries are. Look at how look at look at how I regard the word of God and the law of God. And see, by doing this, they showed themselves to be more eager than the majority to be re- reminded of the law of God. Again, look at me, everybody. I'm more religious than you. Look at, I've got the word of God bigger on me than anybody, than anybody in the, anybody, any Jew. Look at me. Look at how religious I am. And this is what they did. This is what they did to make the people think that they were more religious. And of course, then again, they knew the law of God well, which made a good front for the people. But as Jesus just said here in verse 5, they only did these things so that people would look at them and think they were really godly people. Did it work? Did the people really buy it? Oh, wow. Look at those religious people. They're so holy. Unfortunately, sadly, it did. The people did believe them to be super religious and super holy people. How do we know? Look at verses 6 and 7. Jesus actually tells us. You won't get it right away, but I'll explain it. They love the best places at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. So they loved, get it, we'll talk about this in a minute, they lo- or in a little bit, they loved the exaltation of that the, or that the people gave them. 
So how do we know that the people thought of them as super godly? Well, if you think about it for just a minute, they would have only been able to get the best seats in the synagogues or the special greetings in the marketplaces or being called rabbi, rabbi, or rabbi just means teacher, but a kind of a holy word for teacher, teacher by the Jewish people unless the people gave them these honors. They couldn't get the best seats if the people didn't give them to them. They couldn't get the best greetings if the people weren't greeting them with the best greetings. They couldn't have been called rabbi, rabbi by nobody. So somebody was calling them rabbi, rabbi. Well, the people. They had the people fooled into thinking that they were super religious. And so the people would give them the best seats in the synagogues. Greetings, special greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi, rabbi. So unfortunately, these Ultimate hypocrites had the people fooled into thinking that they were very godly and worthy of all these honors. But we know from what Christ says here that they were frauds and they weren't really worthy of honor at all. Paul does tell us in 1 Timothy 5, through uh, 17 and 18, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So it's not a bad thing to honor your elders or to honor your pastors, especially those who work hard for Christ. But these guys, although the religious leaders of their day, were not working hard for God. They were working hard at looking religious, and they were working hard at telling others what to do, how to, you know, those, those false interpretations they were making and laying burdens for people hard to bear on their shoulders. Uh, but these are not traits worthy of honor or double honor at all. So how should they have acted if they were super godly men according to God? Well, the Bible tells us. Jesus tells us here in a little bit, but God tells us in his word. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, God says here, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? For all the, those things my hand is made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one, you could say person, will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word, a humble, godly man, one who's got contrite, they're happy where God has them. Psalm 117, 16 and 17, for David writes, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise or you will not hate. So God hates pride, but loves humility. And remember, Jesus just said of these guys that they love the best places in the synagogues. They love to be escorted to the front and they sat down and they love to be greeted in a holy way. Yet here God says, I love a humble man. With a contrite heart. Matthew 19.30, Jesus says, For many are first will be last, and last will be first. He says the same thing. Look here at the next five verses. Jesus tells us the same thing that God just did, but gives us the examples of how to be, how to be of a humble and contrite heart and truly godly. Look at verses 8 through 12 here. Jesus goes on to say, But you now, 
speaking of his disciples, speaking of his followers, but you, I don't want you to be like these guys. You could add that to this, but you, my followers, this is how I want you to be. Do not be called rabbi or a really exalted word for teacher. For one is your teacher, the Christ, or or you could have said me. And you are all brethren. What did he just say? Hey, call your God your teacher. Just like I said before when we were praying and I was, you know, and, and we were talking here, you know, and we were praying and I was opening up the service. Let me get out of the way, God. You teach us. Because I only can teach because God gave it to me. I'm only the vessel by which God gave it to me. So am I your teacher? No. Pastor Ed is not your teacher. God is your teacher because God taught me everything I'm telling you today over this last week. So I'm really not your teacher. And I don't have a problem telling you that because I want to be humble. I don't want to be prideful like these guys because Jesus just told me that I need to be. And he says here at the end of verse 8, You are all brethren. What is he saying? You guys are all equal. Don't exalt yourself above one another. You guys are all equal. These guys did not want to be equal. They wanted to be exalted above the people, not equal with the people. Verse 9, he goes on to say, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Now, now, don't misunderstand the scripture. He's not saying that you can't call your dad your father. Like, hey, father, hey, dad, how, you know, how are you today? This word for father was a, a, a you know, a, a term of great adoration to a, 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 like a leader in the church or like a, a, a religious leader. Oh, oh, father, oh, tell me what I must do, oh, to be forgiven for my sins. No, Jesus said, don't call anybody in the spirit your father. Don't call your religious leader your father and your spirit. They're just your brother. Remember he just said, we're all brethren. Don't exalt one another. You're all equal. He's telling his followers now. He's telling us and giving giving us examples on how to be godly, not hypocritical. He goes on in 10 and says, and do not be called teachers for one is your teacher, the Christ. He kind of gets that one twice. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. He's covered this all their places. I was just reading in Mark this morning in my devotion time how he said, even the Son of Man has come to serve and not be served. And what are we supposed to be if we're Christians, if we're his followers? We're supposed to be of his example. If we're Christians, that means Christ-like, like Christ. And if he said I came to serve and not to be served. Then he said, all my followers, my disciples, I not only don't want you to be exalted, but I want you to be humble and, check this out, I want you to be servant to all, not master of anyone. Okay? goes on in 12, it says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He gave us this picture of don't exalt yourself because all throughout the Bible, even speaking of Christ himself, those who were leaders of God that were humble, God exalted him in front of the people. But those that wanted to exalt themselves in front of the people, God humbled before the people. So those that desire to be exalted, be humble. 
And then in, leave your exaltation, if God so chooses you to exalt you, leave that to Him. But you, O oh man of God, you, O oh child of God, you, O oh Christian, be humble. Be humble. Synopsis of a truly godly person according to Christ here. I'm going to run them through real quick. According to Jesus' teaching here to his followers, he says a truly godly person, number one, avoids exaltation, avoids the exaltation of the people in any way. And he doesn't seek it, and he doesn't love it. He spoke about that in verses 8 and 10 there. The second thing he says that a truly godly person does. A truly godly person avoids giving extreme exaltation to anyone but God, verse 9. Again, it's okay to honor someone or a leader or a great man of God in your church or you know somebody that's really laboring for God. It's okay to honor them to a point, a level point, but not to the point of God. To have high respect for is different than giving adoration to. Oh man, that guy's a really godly guy. He really lives for God. I mean, look at all his, you know, his word and how he's laboring in the word and he's working out, in the, you know, in the field for God. Oh man, praise God, praise God. Thank, thank you, God, for that man. That would, that should be the hope of this person that is avoiding giving extreme exaltation to anyone but God. Okay, that was in verse nine. Here, a truly godly person has a servant's heart, verse 11. Most people don't know this about this word, but most people think that a minister, oh, wow, he's a minister of the Lord. But most people don't know this, but you're going to know now. The word minister, the actual definition for the word minister is servant. So, yes, when we go back to Moses, we read that Moses was a minister of the Lord. Yes, Moses was a servant to God. And then it said of Joshua. Joshua was a minister of Moses. Well, Joshua wasn't ministers, or excuse me, Joshua wasn't Moses' leader. Joshua served Moses. So it says Joshua ministered to, or was Moses' minister, okay? Joshua served Moses. He was his minister. Jesus talked about that in verse 11. Another thing that a man of God or a person of God is, is humble, according to Jesus, and not prideful. Verse 12, not pointing out how godly they are. Oh, oh, wow, look at me. Oh, wow, I worked so hard for God. Oh, and then, you know, they these guys used to stand under the, the, the light posts and, oh, Lord, and raise their hands and act all holy and say their prayers out loud so that what? The people could look at them and think, oh, wow, look at how godly that guy is. He's, he's so not ashamed of God. He's just out there and letting everybody see. Man, that takes guts. No, it takes guts. They were like on stage. They were trying to, oh, look at me. Whoa, whoa. Okay. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, how to be humble, not prideful. He says, let your light so shine before men. Not that they glorify you, that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Being a truly godly person goes way beyond just looking godly before others. Being truly godly is really a heart condition that you make that say, you know what, I love God. I want to point to God with my life. I don't want to point to me with my life. 
Did you notice, ironically, what Jesus just did there as well too? Did you notice that the characteristics Jesus and God just gave of a truly godly person were the exact opposite of the characteristics that the Pharisees and Sadducees had? Isn't that sad? They loved, excuse me, they loved the adoration of the people. They loved the people to give them the best seats. They loved it when the people looked on them holy. Yet the man of God, the person of God, the child of God is humble, not pointing at themselves, but hoping that their good works point to God. They put on this show of godliness and had the people fooled into thinking that they were godly. But in God's eyes, realistically, they were very ungodly people and weren't living the type of lives God wanted them to live at all. They lived their lives so that people looked at them in a greater light and so that they got the people's praise and honor. But a truly godly person, according to God and Christ, lived their lives for God and in His ways so that the people see their ways and give the glory and honor to God in Christ. Ironically, this is really the same thing we covered in the parable of the wicked vine dressers. Remember that idea there. Those religious leaders and leaders of Israel that the landowner, God, leased or gave charge over his vineyard, the Israeli people, to, didn't want to give the fruit of the vineyard or the praise and honor of the people to him or God when God the landowner sent his servants, the prophets, to get it from them. Isn't it cool how the word of God all kind of rolls into himself? It's also a proof that Jesus really did all the teaching. This idea here, this warning that Jesus was giving to his followers and his disciples was really the same thing he told the Pharisees and Sadducees way back in the parable of the wicked vine dressers. He just was now warning his pupils versus then he was warning those guys, hey, this is what God knows that you're doing. Look out. I just think that it's cool because... God uh, is amazing the way he rolls it all together. So what did, we're actually going to get to move on, because I, you know, that's it for the 1 through 12. So what did these guys' ultimate hypocrisy get them? Look in verse 13. We're going to go through these really quick. It actually gets them, check this out, eight woes from Christ. Their ultimate hypocrisy got them eight woes from Christ. And let's listen to him. Because boy, I'll tell you, if you're a hypocrite and you're living in hypocrisy today, these are right for you too, just like it was for them. Because listen, verse 13 tells us Jesus is talking right to them. They kind of were still there. Actually, verse 13 tells us that Jesus is not only talking to his disciples now and his followers, but he's actually still talking to the Pharisees and scribes that are still standing off and where they can hear him. He says, but woe to you, He's talking to them. He's not talking to his disciples and followers now because they weren't hypocritical. The Pharisees and scribes were hypocritical. Verse 13, but woe to you. Listen to these scary things, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So guys, You're not going to heaven, and anybody that you get to follow you, well, they're not going to go to heaven either. Wow. So their ultimate hypocrisy is keeping them out 
of heaven. Verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you devour widows' houses, and for pretense, for show, make long prayers. Oh, Lord, oh, God, oh, Lord, oh, God, oh, Lord, I love you so much. In front of people, but it's just in pretense, Jesus said. It's just for show. It's just so that people saw it. Oh, wow. And so that they would give them the praise. But woe to you. So they're devouring widows' houses and they're making long prayers for pretense. He says, therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. So those that are the ultimate hypocrites will receive greater condemnation from God because they're just doing the things that they're doing for show. It's not really coming from their heart. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you yourselves. So not only are you going to hell, and not only are the people around you that are following you going to hell, because they're watching your ways and they know you, but now you're traveling all over to go win people to your faith. But when you win them to your faith, you're actually making them twice as much a child of hell as you are yourself. Wow. This is amazing. It reminds me of the Jehovah's Witness religion. It reminds me of the Mormon religion. It reminds me of all these super evangelical false pretend Christian religions, they travel the world to make people their followers. And yet, because they really don't follow Christ truly as who he said he was, the son of God and the son of man and God himself in the flesh, they're making the people that convert to their false face twice as much of child of hell as they are themselves. Verse 16, woe to you blind guides. Jesus just called them blind. Because they really were, they weren't spiritually enlightened. There's no way they could have been the way they acted. Woe to you blind guys who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, he goes on to say, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies it? Think about it. They call the gold the gift greater than the temple. Why would they do that? Because they wanted people to give, 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 because guess what? Their pockets got fat. The hypocrites in Christianity today that are going out there that are on TV, oh, oh, give us your money. Oh, 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 we need your money. Oh, give that gift in faith. And all they are is making their pockets fat. Woe to you, Jesus says, blind guides, because they're exalting the gift more than the altar that it's being given on. Same thing. And these guys here were exalting the gift so that their pockets could get fat rather than the actual altar of God. Wow! Fools and blind, he says, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he goes on to say, verse 20, Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So don't exalt the gift. Exalt the God. Exalt the altar. Don't exalt the gift. The gift is just meant for the altar. The altar is of God. Exalt God, not the gift. 
These guys, woo, I'm telling you, they were in danger, so much in danger. Verse 23, he says, goes on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you paid tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you have ought to have done without leaving others undone. So they would give all this good stuff. They were good at giving all these good gifts. Jesus gives a story about how there was this woman at one point who came in and she gave just this little bit that she had. And yet all the others, all the others that were rich, all they, they threw their gifts and they all that, well, look at me. And people would look at them and all, oh, wow, that guy's given so much. So yeah, they gave all this stuff, but Jesus said, you can give all this stuff, but look at what they neglected. From the law, they neglected weightier measures of the law. Justice. They didn't keep justice. They were perverted. They didn't didn't keep just mercy and faith. They had no mercy in others. Remember the one guy, that the the two guys that Jesus gave, the one time when he was given a a kind of a picture of what humility and what pride looked like. You You had the poor tax collector and sinner that was down there on his knees before God. Oh, God. And he's beating his chest. Oh, Lord, forgive me, for I am a sinner. Oh, Lord. And he wouldn't even look his head up to heaven. But then you had the Pharisee, the religious leader, standing up there going, Looking up to God going, oh God, thank you so much that I'm not like that guy. Wow. Seriously, this is what Jesus is describing here. They had no mercy. They didn't care if you were a sinner. Well, they deserved to go to hell. There was no mercy. It was the law. And that was their faith. And it was their, look at me. And I'm religious. And oh, you know, we deserve all your money. And they wanted the praise and adoration from the people. But they neglected mercy. They neglected faith. They were faithless, evil, wicked People, yet they were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. He says, he says, uh, these you ought to have done, so give all these tithes without leaving the others undone. Sure, give all your tithes, but also don't neglect faith. Don't neglect mercy. Have mercy on the sinner. Don't glorify the altar. Glorify God. These you have other than without leaving these others undone. Verse 24. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. They were so tight with their law to others. Oh, did you know? Oh, this is what the law said. Look at the law. It's so tight. It's so binding. But then they themselves, oh, man. And they would go on their own and they would live how they wanted to live. How sad. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, so they made themselves outwardly all adorned for people. They made them all look all holy. Oh, look at me. Oh, I'm so holy. But instead, they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Inside and in their own lives, in their own private lives, they were wicked and evil people. And they lived wickedness and they lived hypocrisy, yet on the outward they made the people think, wow, he's such a holy guy, hypocrite. Whoa, Jesus says. And he goes on in verse 26, blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. And that's the thing with God. If we come to God and surrender and He and we allow him to take control of our lives, he'll cleanse the inside of our body so that what happens so that that spring which is your body will pour forth clean water good water 
That was part of the problem with these guys. They were never saved. They never humbled themselves before God. They never surrendered to God. So their insides were full of vomit and puke and evil. And so outside they made themselves look good, but really just whatever came out was all just filth. It was all garbage, as Jesus is saying. Couple more woes, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outward, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Like what I was just saying. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is what I just described, verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, listen to this, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. So what they did was, is they were adorning these monuments and saying, oh, we're, you know, if we would have lived like in the days of our fathers, in the days of our ancestors, we would have really seen the truth behind the real men of God, the prophets that all came to the people. You know, remember God sent prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, to the people so that they get their act right. But really what happened, the people attacked them and they didn't want to be told what was right. And they kill, ended up killing a lot of them and attacking a lot of them. And they said, oh, if, if we were like our fathers, we wouldn't have done that. But look at what Jesus says, verse 31, therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Wow. And you see, the thing is, it's one thing if I'm a son of an evil man, but I've changed my ways. But they didn't. They were the son of evil people that stoned and killed and attacked the prophets, but they didn't change their ways. They were still, look at, they were against Jesus. They were breathing murderous threats in their minds and in their hearts against him they hated him and they couldn't wait till they could get so they could get him and so they could attack him and so that they could kill him because they were murderers they hated jesus and all he did was told them what was right he says then verse 32 fill up then the measure of your father's guilt serpents he calls them brood of vipers how can you escape the condemnation of hell Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men. Notice how Jesus says, I send you. Notice, I send you. Who could do this but God? No, therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. And this is what Jesus is still doing today. Jesus is still sending out people like me and people like all the servants of God to go throughout the whole world and preach the truth and what's happening to us all over the world, mainly except for America, they're getting killed, they're getting persecuted, they're they're getting attacked by these evil people. And Jesus said the Jews are going to do that, and then they did. We know historically that when God sent out his Christians after Christ died, that's what happened to them. The Jews attacked them, the Jews, the Jews put them to death, the Jews persecuted them. That's exactly what they did, what Jesus said. Um, verse 35, that on you... 
And so God is going to do this. And what's, going to, what's the end result? End result to the Jewish nation that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And we know that the end result to the Jewish nation of Israel totally was 70 AD when the nation got wiped out. Titus came in, destroyed the nation because of their rebellion against God, because of their rebellion not accepting Christ. And the nation was no more for a long time. And that's what happened to the people of Jesus's generation and those that did not repent and those that did not come to God, those that did not surrender to Christ. So today, I really hope that you got God's big idea. Big idea from God today. God hates hypocrisy, especially religious hypocrisy. He hates it so much that hypocrisy, according to Christ, literally kills both physically and spiritually. Religious hypocrisy not only kills those in those eight ways Christ just said, those eight woes, but it kills in another way also. How else does hypocrisy kill? I can't tell you from from the years of talking to people about Christ. Thousands of conversations that I've had, tens of thousands, maybe more, of gospel tracts that I've passed out. And in different conversations, I can't tell you the people I know that think ill of Christianity and probably God and Christ himself, because of what? Those that claim to be Christians, but live a contrary, or you could say hypocritical life, full of sin, but yet, again, they claim that I love God. They claim Christianity. This is a terrible hypocrisy as a whole is a terrible problem, especially in America. I don't know because I don't live in other countries of the world. Many claim the name of Christ, but hypocritically live their lives in terrible, terrible sin. Those that claim Christ today say that, oh, abortion's okay, even though abortion is murder. And we know, but the Bible says that God says, don't murder. Yeah, I'm a Christian, oh, but, but but you know what? Women have a choice. <laughs> the abortion is okay, but yet I claim Christ. It's hypocrisy. Many in, that claim themselves to be Christians accept homosexuality. Yet, homosexuality is an abomination to God. Certain Christian churches, the most... I don't remember the name now, maybe Presbyterian, I think. I'm not sure though. You can check it out. Has accepted members into their church that are homosexuals. And many Christian denominations now are allowing homosexuals to be pastors and leaders of their church. Yet again, God considers homosexuality an abomination. This is hypocrisy. So many claim to be Christians, but speak foul language. They just like, it doesn't matter. You're talking to them is, is like talking to somebody that belongs to the church of Satan. They don't care or watch what they say. It's 
foul mouth out of their, like, like you never heard. And yet, oh, bless God, I'm a Christian. Yet God says, let no unclean or profane language proceed out of your mouth. Christ claimers are in clubs on Saturday night doing whatever they wish. Going home with whatever girl in the bar in the club they want to go home with. Drinking to get drunk and floored and plastered. Oh, they got the designated driver. Oh, I'm a Christ follower. But yet they're in church on Sunday morning like, yeah, it didn't matter what I did last night because today I'll just ask for forgiveness because I know God loves me. This, folks, is hypocrisy. Ultimate hypocrisy. I'm going to say one thing, but I'm going to do another. There's so many more hypocritical points, I can't even bring them up due to time. But sadly, like Christ said here in our scriptures today, verse 13, just one more time, Woe to you, he says, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, I'll say, Woe to you, religious leaders, and woe to you, those who pretend to be Christians, but aren't really living the life. Hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in to go in. Again, so many people I've talked to, oh, you know, yeah, I knew that Christian over there, yeah, yeah, look what they did. They call themselves Christians. The world is not stupid. People are not stupid. People, if you have the title and you give yourself the title of Christian, people see when you don't live a Christian life. And this is hypocrisy. You, if you live this way, as Jesus just said, will not go to heaven and are shutting up the kingdom of hell or the kingdom of heaven from others as well. For they, the folks I'm talking to, whoever you are, those you may know, are heading to hell themselves, and those that know them see their hypocrisy and either follow them or think it's okay, or, as I just said, think ill of God and Christ and decide not to come to God or Christ for salvation because of the terrible example that you are living if you claim to be a Christian but live a fully sinful life. So, capital warning to any that live this kind of hypocritical life before God in Christ. God sees it. You can't hide it before Him. Man sees it. Your friends see it. Those at your workplace see it. Any that know you well see it. And I hope for your sake, today you take the eight woes of Christ to heart and you repent. I hope today that you take these eight woes and truly turn to God and Christ for real and not in pretense. Not just walking up to the altar at church and going, oh Jesus, oh I need you, oh and then looking back, oh showing the people, oh wow how good I am because I came to the altar call. Not in pretense. And I truly hope that you surrender your lives to Christ today completely. Christ did not come and die on that horrible cross so that you could claim his name and still live any way you want. Paul says in Galatians 5.24, Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. 
If this is you and you're listening and you live in this hypocritical full in this hypocritical lifestyle, please turn to Christ today with all your heart and come out of hypocrisy and live. Surrender to God and let him cleanse you from the inside first that you may spew from you good water, healing water, love, truth, not spew forth filthy language, evil speaking, actions that are not becoming of Christ. Turn now. Please turn now. God loves you so much, but he desires you to repent. That means by repenting, you you change your mind toward how you're living right now. You turn and say, you know what, I've been wrong. Wow, I didn't know Christ gave those eight woes. And you turn to him. And you fall on your face right now. And you repent. You cry out to God. God, I'm so sorry. Please don't let those eight woes fall on me. I'm so sorry for the way I live. Change me, God. I need you. I'm not right with you. Because the Bible says that if you live in sin and for sin, that you're not God's and you don't belong to Him. So turn today. Fall on your face. Repent. Cry out to God. Ask Him to forgive you. But turn from the evil in which you live. And turn and live. And live for Christ, not just profess Him with your mouth. Please. This is God's, maybe His last attempt that He'll make because you may die tomorrow. Turn now, please. God loves you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you so much, Lord God. Just like you asked those, just like you asked those Pharisees and scribes this major question last week that we read about, and you were giving them one last chance to repent, one last chance to see the identity of the real Messiah. Thank you, Lord, that you're now giving the people that I'm talking to one last chance to realize their hypocrisy and turn to, turn to you now because they may die tomorrow. This may be their last chance they have to get right before they die tomorrow, lived a life of a Christian a hypocritical lifestyle and, and end up themselves winding up in hell because they never repented. They never truly turned to you. Please, God, I pray right now that you turn their hearts to Christ right now. They'd realize their error and that they'd repent. Please, God. And I pray these things and ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.